good? What's good? It's C. Wood. Back at you again with another hard-hitting episode of Ball About the South with C. Wood. Ball About the South, that sports podcast where we talk real sports. And we do it with real southern flavor. I am your host, Gary Wood. But call me C. Wood for short. At C. Wood on sports on Twitter and IG is where you can find me. And I am back with another episode. I know it's been a while, but uh, we're going to get this thing going and we're going to get a lot more consistency going with this thing as we move forward. I definitely appreciate you coming in to join me here. Uh, always like, subscribe. Uh, let me know what you think about Ball About the South, whether you're listening, on, listening here on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, whatever podcast platform you're listening to the show on i definitely appreciate it and i definitely hope that you interact let me know how you like the show give me that five star rating if you feel that the show deserves it but if not please put in what you feel like i deserve and uh leave a comment let me know what you think man and uh, let me know what i should do to improve ball about the south and i definitely hope that you will make ball about the south a part of your weekly or your daily uh, podcast listening, man. Please, you know, keep Ball About the South in your rotation. Anyway, we're going to do a more NBA-heavy show today. Obviously, the NBA Finals are going on. We've gone through the playoffs. We are in the Finals, and uh, we're going to talk heavily about that, especially with one of the teams here in, in my geographic footprint. <laughs> Still alive in the Finals, we're going to get into that. And uh, we'll talk, you know, we're two games into the finals right now. We're going to talk about the first two games. We'll go back a little bit as well to the series in the past there for the Miami Heat and uh, a couple other things, NBA playoff, you know, a little bit of talk there. We'll also talk a couple other things that are going on in the news in the NBA just a little bit as well. We'll do that a little bit later. Um Obviously, a lot going on in the world of sports. Uh, we're going to get into a little NFL as well. We got OTAs and minicamp going on. A lot of chatter going on about a few certain players, certain rookies, and how they've looked so far. Uh, we're getting some, just a little bit of that uh, as we go on in this show today. And then we'll talk some college football. SEC Spring meetings took place there in Destin, Florida. Very interesting. Uh, there was a couple of huge topics of discussion there. Uh, and this is what we'll get into to start the show, actually. Uh, right now, obviously, you know that Oklahoma, the Sooners, and Texas Longhorns, they will be joining the SEC next season, 2024. Uh, they're going to break their contract or the last year of their contract with the Big 12 and move on into the SEC. Figured that that was going to happen earlier. I really thought maybe 23 this season was going to be the year, but uh, I think they decided money-wise they'd probably just be able to just do the one year instead of breaking the two years. But I think it was like 80 or $90 million for them to buy themselves out of that contract. So they kind of decided to wait one year, which I don't, don't blame them. Anyway, so with that said, now you're going from 14 to 16 teams. The SEC is one of the only conferences, maybe the only conference right now, as far as I can remember, especially when you look at it from the FBS level, Power 5 level, that only plays eight conference games. Everyone else plays nine, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12. Uh, so that was a huge topic of discussion last weekend, which, you know, of course, was along with some other things as well, but the big news was the fact that the SEC is going to stick with the eight-game schedule, but they are going to take away the divisions. Now, for me, I thought taking away the divisions was the answer when Texas A&M and Missouri came into the league because if you were going to stay at eight games, it was going to make it difficult for certain teams or certain schools, well, certain schools to play each other often enough prime example is Texas A&M and Georgia. Since Texas A&M has been in the league since 2012, Texas A&M and the Georgia Bulldogs have played exactly one game. Once in 11 or 12 seasons. So that means 
a player like um, Jalen Carter, for for example, Jalen Carter, the big defensive uh, tackle uh, from Georgia, who was picked with the ninth overall pick or tenth overall pick with the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL draft. That means he never played Texas A&M. Or he only played on maybe one time. You think about all the players that have come to the University of Georgia since 2012. I mean, you know, it, all of those guys, whether it's Nicobe Dean or, or whomever it is, Chubb, Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, George Pickens, <laughs> all of those dudes, have, a lot of them have never played Texas A&M. And and there may be a few of them that we're enjoying watching on Sundays in the NFL didn't play them but one time. And that's an issue, and, you, and that's across the board. It's not just Georgia and Texas A&M. You sit there and look at, the, you know, look at Alabama. I mean, they've played... Now, they've played Florida twice in the SEC Championship game here in recent years, but, I mean, they rarely play in the regular season. It's once every six or seven years or something like that. So uh, it, it, that is an important topic of discussion, whether or not to stay at eight games or go to nine. So go, staying at eight and getting rid of the divisions is not bad. I wish for me, I wish they would have gone on with the nine-game schedule. But they decided to stick with the eight. And what they're going to do is basically, well, at least next year, I think all of the rivalries will be intact. Um I think that's probably how it's going to work out, but it's, it's still up in the air exactly what the format is going to be with those eight conference games going forward. I think going divisionless, it, it gives you the freedom to choose a lot of other, you know, marquee matchups that you probably wouldn't have been able to get. Because again, if you had gone to divisions and put Texas and Oklahoma in the same division, obviously you weren't going to be able to put both of them in the West. I mean, that just would have been ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you could have maybe you could have moved Auburn to the East and put those two teams in the West and put Missouri in the West or something like that to kind of balance things out a little bit more from a competitive uh, viewpoint or whatever. But for the most part, man, it was it was going to be pretty uneven if you did division. So going divisionless is the right thing on a couple of different fronts and so it gives you the, the freedom to, to you know okay well we can we can schedule Alabama and Georgia a little bit more often you can schedule Georgia and Oklahoma a little bit more often or you can schedule some of those games a lot easier without the division so it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out now again we're going to, if you keep this eight game schedule going forward you're going to lose some of those rivalries though there's just no way around it um obviously you're going to keep the iron bowl okay i mean you know can you keep um alabama lsu though on a yearly basis can you keep auburn and lsu on a yearly basis probably not I think you would definitely try to keep Auburn and Georgia. But then again, from a Georgia standpoint, where they have two really good rivalries when they have the cocktail party against Florida, they have obviously the rivalry against Auburn. Do you keep, which one do you keep? I mean, do you keep both of them or do you only keep one of them? Then what about Georgia and Tennessee? There are going to be some seasons where Georgia doesn't play Tennessee, which is going to be weird. There are going to be some seasons where Alabama and Tennessee are not going to play. The third Saturday in October, which is just, I mean, it just seems like blasphemy at this point that that could be the, possibly the case. And I think, again, with the, going divisionless, it gives you the freedom to be able to schedule that game to just kind of force feed that game as much as you possibly can. But there's just no way you're going to be able to play it every season. So, gonna be interesting it just really is same thing you know obviously those two teams and uh, um, texas and oklahoma coming to the league texas and texas a&m are probably obviously they're gonna play but obviously texas and oklahoma they've got to have a spot you know what about texas a&m and arkansas which has become a really good rivalry being played there at cowboy stadium do they can do they keep that rivalry do they keep texas a&m lsu 
does LSU in Florida remain a rivalry? A lot of questions. And so, one thing about it, anything, any big topic in the SEC, it doesn't matter what the, the topic is. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the topic is. Nick Saban is going to be at the forefront of that discussion. Now, again, this has been, you know, this eight or nine game schedule has been a talking point for years, several years. And just a few years ago, I think Nick Saban was on record saying he was in favor of going nine games. But I think those nine games would have been a lot different than they are going to be next season. And that would have been with a 14-team league instead of a 16-team league. But this, I mean, because think about it like this. And you got a lot of Tennessee fans out there <laughs> because it was becoming widely reported that the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry was not going to be played on a yearly basis. So with Tennessee beating Alabama last year, <laughs> a lot of Tennessee fans came out and were like, okay, yeah, Nick Saban, does, he just, he's trying to duck Tennessee. He's, he, to keep, he wants to keep this thing at eight games instead of it going nine because he's scared of Tennessee. He's scared of the big orange. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, Alabama had just beaten Tennessee 15 consecutive times before losing that game on a last-second field goal last season. They'd only won in that time span of winning 15 in a row against Tennessee since Nick Saban has been in Tuscaloosa. They don't, they've only won six national championships. So, yeah, it makes sense that Alabama is scared. <laughs> They're ducking the Tennessee Volunteers. <laughs> I promise you, Tennessee fans, no, that was not the case. What, it, what Nick Saban was saying, in my opinion, one to say, okay, well, maybe we should look and just stay with the eight-game schedule instead of the nine is because he was looking at competitive balance as far as scheduling was concerned. I mean, and, and a couple of the best examples I can think of is damn, look at Tennessee themselves. Who in the world would Tennessee's rivals, rivals be if they went to a nine-game schedule and say, okay, well, they're going to have, you're going to have three common opponents every single year or it's going to be or it's going to be two common opponents every single year who would Tennessee's common opponents be let's just keep it at two because just like I said a little a few minutes ago if it's Georgia I don't know if it could be Georgia because Georgia Georgia's two main rivals right now could I think would probably be Auburn and Florida <laughs> Okay, so if it's not Auburn or Florida, then who is Tennessee going to play? Are, they, are their rivals going to be Tennessee and Kentucky? I mean, I'm sorry, Vanderbilt and Kentucky? And so, you know, and Alabama, it's just, or if you say it's three, and Alabama and Tennessee, the Alabama-Tennessee, the third Saturday in October rivalry was, uh, was retained. Okay, uh, who's who would be the third rival for Tennessee? Who would it be? I mean, I'm just throwing them out as an example. I think you know, if you look at there and look at Alabama, obviously it's going to be Auburn. You're not going to do anything with the Iron Bowl, and then more than likely you're going to see Alabama be teamed up with LSU. If you have those right now, of Alabama's biggest rivalry. There's just, you know, there was a time that was not the case. There was a time I could have argued maybe Tennessee was a bigger rival than all. It's been a long time ago, but you get what I'm saying. So, <laughs> that's where Nick Saban was going with this thing. It's like, okay, if we're going to go nine games. We better make sure that this thing is fair. And I don't blame him one bit. I really don't. Real quick, man. You know, again, it's going to be interesting. Again, they they've not decided on the the um, exact order or whatever of how they're going to do this. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be real interesting, man. Because and then I think if you think for TV purposes, 
you think for national exposure obviously you know you're going to want to see Alabama Oklahoma as much as you possibly can you're going to want to see Alabama play Texas you're going to see want to see Georgia play Oklahoma man can you imagine a rematch of that Rose Bowl from a few years ago Georgia Texas Florida and Oklahoma Florida and Texas Florida's not what they used to be I mean this is <laughs> this is not your Steve Spurrier or Urban Meyer Florida Gators I mean they're far from it right now but obviously they're still a marquee program and that that would be a game that people would want to see and obviously LSU man you know those teams that I named above it's just the way it is I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. It really, really is. And maybe they didn't come up with a specific plan because obviously Texas and Oklahoma don't have their vote yet. Maybe that's why they're going to wait another year or so. Really interesting stuff. So that eight-game schedule is going to be crazy once we get to next season. And I cannot wait for that to go down. Uh, But again, Tennessee fans. I promise you Nick Saban's not trying to duck you guys. <laughs> I promise you that's not trying that's not what the the plan is in Tuscaloosa. Anyway, man, we're gonna obviously talk a lot more college football as we go forward. We're already into June. We're getting like a month away from media days. I think media days in Nashville this year. After that shortly after that we're talking about fall camp and then of course kicking this thing off it's going to be crazy but a lot of people as crazy as 2023 is going to be a lot of people are going to be looking forward big time to 2024 anyway man we're going to take a quick break right now we're going to come back we're going to get into the NBA we're going to talk a little Miami Heat what's going on with them in the NBA finals when ball about the south continues All right, y'all, we're back in. Let's get into some NBA talk right here with the NBA Finals going on. Obviously, we are past game three, and the Denver Nuggets currently lead the series two games to one after their huge victory last night over the Miami Heat. Uh, Triple doubles from both Nikola, the Joker Jokic, (laughs) and Jamal Murray. 30.10 rebound. I'm sorry, 10 assist triple doubles at that. And in in the case of uh, the Joker, he had 21 rebounds. Uh, 32 points for the Joker, 34 points for Jamal Murray. And we knew that that was going to have to be uh, emphasized that Jamal Murray is going to have to get his game going one way or the other. Uh, especially after the way he played Sunday night. I didn't think he played particularly well. I think there were reasons for that. I think Miami Heat's zone kind of bothered him. The, the Heat kind of put an emphasis on making sure Nikola Jokic was the one that beat them offensively, shooting the ball, not uh, orchestrating the offense like uh, he we're used to seeing him do. When the case last night, they had the best of both worlds for the Nuggets. Mike Malone, and that was the thing too. That performance Sunday night was not a not the best of performances from the Nuggets, especially from a defensive standpoint. I didn't think, and then I think that kind of leaked over into the offense. Mike Malone wasn't standing for that. <laughs> this is I'm telling you this this matchup is really a really a good coaching matchup, I think. And I think uh, both of these guys are still, you know, undervalued just to to a certain degree. Obviously, I think uh, Eric Spolster gets his, you know, he gets his respect for the most part with him going to so many finals and winning, uh, what's he, won three? No, two. Okay, so he's you know he's, he's won two rings or whatever with LeBron and all that, but they went like four times, and then of course he you know, he went his fifth one was in the bubble. So his, this is sixth NBA final, which is very impressive to say the least. But sometimes I still get the feeling he's a little bit undervalued, and I there's no question in my mind that Mike Malone is undervalued. Uh, this is a Nuggets team that a lot of people. 
including me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to include myself in on this as far as being um, critical of them in past years, past seasons. But then you have to think about it. the thing. I have to sit there and think about myself when I think about the Nuggets and their playoff runs. Is one of those years, really two of those playoff runs, they didn't have Jamal Murray. And guess what happened the season before Jamal Murray, or Jamal Murray uh, went out in April, right before the playoffs were going to begin, or just as they began with that ACL, and he ended up having to pretty much miss an entire year. Um, so he was out the 21 playoffs, and he was out the 22 playoffs. Guess what? In the 20 playoffs, the Denver Nuggets went to the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> and they took the Lakers, the eventual champs, seven games. Okay, everybody said, oh, well, it was just a bubble, but still. Uh, and, and I think that kind of gets lost because you sit there and think about it. I mean, that was 2020. It's been three years ago, almost. So I, I think that Mike Malone is undervalued, and I really like his approach to the game. Some people don't. Charles Barkley <laughs> was one that was talking to here in the first couple of rounds saying, oh, well, he's just up there crying or whatever about the, uh, I can't remember exactly what the topic was. I don't think it was the refs. It was really more about his team. Oh, it was more about how people were kind of, you know, underselling his ball club. They were, they weren't, you know, weren't thinking that they were, um, uh, capable of winning the finals or whatever. Like there, most people mentioned the Phoenix Suns. There were people obviously that mentioned the Lakers, and I think he felt like the Lakers were the favorite in that series, and I think he made his team feel like that. And he's, he's made his team feel like they've been the underdogs pretty much all season and definitely throughout the playoffs. And I think when you can do that, man, you are doing a really good job as a coach. I, I really like that approach. Some people don't like it. I do because I think that uh, it should, for me, for the one thing that I think it shows is that the Nuggets are a team that's very coachable. That's the one thing that I've done. And I think that's one, and I think you see, you see that out of the Miami Heat as well. I mean, Jimmy Butler on down. That team, Jimmy Butler's the leader of that team and we all know that, but Jimmy Butler is not like, he's not he doesn't care about the the fame or the notoriety or whatever. He's just out there to win. He's out there to do whatever whatever way it takes. So, and and I, I get that feeling with the Nuggets as well. And I think that was one of the reasons why I was really excited about this series because I was like, man, this these are two teams that there's no oh man they made this splash free agent move in the middle of the season or in the prior off season. And, you know, here he is, and now he's got a chance to win the finals or whatever. And he's, you know, the, the spotlight's all on him. And this is, you know, basically, again, yeah, I'm saying maybe Kevin Durant <laughs> going to Phoenix. Obviously, some of the years we've seen LeBron. Again, I'm not, I'm not against the fanfare or anything like that for those type players. Don't get me wrong when I say that. For me, it's just refreshing to see two teams be in the finals where, for the most part, they have built their team in the draft. They, Jamal Murray drafted. Joker drafted. Now, yeah, they throw in Aaron Gordon and a couple other players here, but where's your star free agent? <laughs> I don't see him. Christian Braun. I have, to, I have to throw that name out there. Christian Brown. They say Brown, Braun. It looks like Braun. I don't know, but whatever the case, this dude balled out last night. 15 points for the rookie out of Kansas. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, you look at up and down the, the Nuggets lineup. Just, I mean, these, these guys are just hardcore ball players. It's not that diva thing going on with any of these dudes. Same thing with Miami. Same exact thing. You sit there and you look at all the undrafted free agents, man. Uh, Vincent. Martin. <laughs> uh, now you look at uh, Duncan Robinson. This company's brought his game back along and it's looking pretty good. He's made, uh, I tell you what, I don't, there are a couple games that Duncan Robinson had that I don't know if the Heat beat the Celtics. 
<laughs> obviously, Caleb Martin, in my opinion, could have been the MVP of the Celtics series. You have, I mean, up and down both of these lineups. And uh, I, I love it. I mean, I'm not either a fan of either one of these teams, but I, I, just, I absolutely love it. Uh, and it, it's, it's got kind of a vibe of the um, Phoenix Suns Milwaukee Bucks series from a couple seasons ago. You said, then you look at that series, Milwaukee. They're kind of playing, Denver's kind of playing that Milwaukee role this season. Milwaukee was a team that could not get to a, but to a certain point in the playoffs. We were all uh, talking about how much we loved the Greek freak and we loved him as a player and all of that, but he couldn't get his team over the hump. Would he, should he just go ahead and leave Milwaukee because they weren't going to be able to get him enough help to get over the hump? And then, lo and behold, he stays. People call him crazy for staying. And then he gets over the hump, wins the NBA Finals against a team like the Phoenix Suns that were up and coming themselves at the time. It was a little bit of a surprise. Even though the Suns had their stacked lineup and everything, it was a little bit of a surprise that Phoenix got things together as quickly as they did and were able to make the NBA Finals that season for the first time in their um, uh, in their franchise's history, so this game, this series, in my opinion, kind of has that vibe. And uh, like I say, I, I like it. I mean, last night I did not expect Denver to uh, win as easily as they did. Uh, Miami, for whatever reason, I saw some breakdowns from them defensively. Maybe not the level, you know, attention to detail that we saw in game two from Miami. I think that hurt them in game three. So we'll see how this thing goes starting tomorrow night, Friday night in game four. I had this series pegged as a six or seven game series. I still believe that's going to be the case. For me, uh, obviously, I still I still have the Nuggets winning this series. I, I mean, nothing's changed about that, obviously. But I still think the Heat can be very competitive the thing I thought about in this series before it started, I've kind of felt like maybe the Heat get those two or three games that I'm talking about. Maybe uh, one of those games, maybe Eric Spolstra, you know, making a move, making a uh, key substitution or, or whatever, a key uh, adjustment defensively or offensively would win one game. And then I felt like, Jimmy Butler and Jimmy Buckets would go 35 or 40 points or something like that and possibly win another game. And that would be your, your six-game series, basically. Um, and maybe, you know, who knows, maybe uh, you, you get get a game where, where you some things just kind of go your way. Maybe the game that kind of went their way or the Eric Spolster game was game two this past Sunday night. Not really sure. But I really believe that that is going to be the case. And uh, I still think we're looking at a six or seven game series. And again, I just, I really like this matchup. And thank goodness, man, the, um, apparently the rest of the NBA likes it as well because the, the TV ratings have been pretty good so far. I mean, they're not great, but they're, they haven't slid much, if any at all, from last season's which obviously had two marquee teams in the Celtics and the Warriors. You had Steph Curry, you had Jason Tatum, uh, Clay, all that last season. Um, so the numbers have been very good so far for this NBA Finals, and I think that's a really good thing. So, yeah, we'll see how this thing goes forward, man. But, um, yeah, I definitely like the Nuggets to finish this thing out, but I do think the Miami Heat are not going to go away uh, quietly, <laughs> they're gonna have to put them away. Um, you know, and that's I, guess, I think it's just a thing right now where Miami's just not gonna have enough size, really. I think you saw that last night. I think you definitely saw it in Game One, where the, the size advantage is, is just huge. They, uh, the Nuggets murdered them on the boards, in the paint, and then when they can do that, it kind of sets over everything else up. For Jamal Murray, so we'll see what the what Eric Spolster is able to dial up for Game Four. So anyway, man, you know, you know, really good NBA Finals so far. We got some other NBA news though. <laughs> Obviously, we know about the John Morant thing. 
And apparently, Adam Silver has come to his decision, or you know, the NBA powers to be or whatever come to their decision, and uh, that suspension or whatever it's going to be. Uh, the news of that is going to come down after the finals. So we already know about that. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot to be that you can really say about this entire situation. Uh, just really bad decisions by John Morant. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of people talking about it being the city of Memphis. Man, maybe he needs to get out of Memphis. I'm not seeing that because I just, where is he going to go? <laughs> you know, I, uh, Memphis is a little town that has a lot of crime and all of that, but it, there are a lot of cities that have a lot of crime and all or whatever or, or bad influences. You're not gonna, where are you gonna send them to uh, <laughs> Philadelphia? <laughs> you gonna send them to uh, L.A. or Dallas or Houston or something? I mean, I mean, come on, all those cities have some of the same elements. So I, I just. I think is this is a thing where Ja has to work on himself, and he just has to make smarter decisions. And of course, you know, may not help, may not hurt him um, looking at who he's hanging with. We'll see how that goes, but I'm not, I definitely support him 100%. And um, for me, I think suspension. Well, when this thing it was announced, when the second. Uh, incident with John Moran and a gun came out. I kind of felt like the suspension would be 25 to 30 games, somewhere in that range. I'm still kind of going to stick with that. It would not shock me at all to see it be half a season. I don't see a full season. I, I'm not really getting why you do a full season. This would be a, kind of a second strike or whatever. I just don't think going to a full season for what we saw, unless now that, you know, me um Adam Silver used that term, additional information. I don't know if we know what that additional information is just yet. So, it depends on that. If there's something that's really egregious, then who knows what the penalty could be. We have to see. But, uh, again, I, my, I definitely pray that this young man gets, his, uh, gets everything together and uh, we're able to enjoy him playing this game that he loves to play for a long, long time. Uh, hopefully that's going to be the case. Uh, in other news, we <laughs> uh, sit there and you look at the, the Boston Celtics. I mean, that I just wanted to kind of go back to them just really quick. I, that, that was really uh, surprising the way the Celtics looked in, this, in the playoffs. I just, I had to kind of go back to that. Because it was, a lot of people, I think, were penciling in the Celtics and the Lakers being in the NBA Finals. And let me just say this, the, the Lakers have no reason to hang, to hang their heads at all. I thought the Lakers played a pretty decent series. I thought they played actually fairly well <laughs> against the Nuggets. The Nuggets were just that much better. It's just that simple. And uh, I think I think with the uh, format being kind of every other night scheduled there in, in that in that playoff against the Nuggets, man, we knew there was, there was no way LeBron was going to be able to get enough rest. Because it wasn't like the first two rounds where you had like there might be you might play Tuesday night and then not play again until Saturday. I mean, there there was no break in between any of those games, and when I saw that, I figured this series was over. I mean, so I, I think the Lakers played well. Uh, we'll see how, what they do going forward. I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but the Celtics were a totally different story. This, I mean, there's no excuse for what we saw from them. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and bang on Joe Mazzulla and criticize him too too much. I mean, he de he deserves some criticism, don't get me wrong. But dude's 34 years old and he was in his, basically his first full season <laughs> as a head coach. I think, it, you know, I sit here and look at it. I still question why Boston did not go after a more seasoned coach to coach this team that's ready to win right now. 
You know, I, I you know, I, I just don't. I didn't understand that. I, I didn't understand Celtics fans coming down so hard on Joe Missoula, knowing that this dude is in his first season as a head coach. <laughs> so, uh, again, really, really disappointing season for the Celtics, even though they were able to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, getting to that seventh game, I think, saved Joe Missoula's job. I don't think there's any question about that. But what do they do going forward? Jalen Brown, a lot of talk about him. His contract is due. It's up next season, after next season. So there's some trade talk going on about him. We'll see how that plays out. See if they break up that duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. We got some news that came out just yesterday. Chris Paul is being waived by the Phoenix Suns, which is a very interesting development to say the least. Or at least is well, I don't know if it's fully done yet, but the it's looking like he's going to be released. They're going to look at it. He's, he's either going to be released or he's going to be traded. So, we're not really sure exactly what, which one's going to be. It's going to be very interesting to see where he ends up. A lot of people obviously mentioned in the Lakers. That could be very interesting to team him up with LeBron and uh, all of those young guys, of course, Anthony Davis. I'm not sure I'm feeling that one. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not really sure how that's, uh, that will work out. But, hey, you know, let them do what they want to do. Um, Kyrie Irving was in the news earlier this week in saying that he was hoping to maybe get, maybe to influence uh, LeBron to join him and Luka in Dallas. <laughs> Which, I mean, again, I've just been... Forget, I mean, this, this whole thing with Kyrie, man. Then, then, of course, he comes back and denies it, of course. He denies he said that. Which, he, maybe he didn't. I don't know. I hope, in a way, I hope he didn't. Because I'm like, man, are you kidding me? Luca, <laughs> Kyrie, and LeBron. First of all, who's going to handle the ball? Who's going to be your, your, your main guy? Who, all, all three of them need the ball in their hands. <laughs> okay, first of all. Second of all, you're not helping yourself defensively if you're Dallas bringing in 39-year-old LeBron James. I mean, that's no disrespect to LeBron, but you, I mean, you're not helping yourself at all defensively. The, 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 the Mavericks really need help at the rim. They need rim protection. They need rebounding above anything else. Above anything else, their problem is not scoring, and it shouldn't be scoring. Their problem is stopping people. So why do you go out and get LeBron? I'm not saying LeBron can't D up here and there and, and really still do his thing, but he can't do it <laughs> uh, enough <laughs> during the season, man. I mean, I, I, this is just, I, I just don't understand it, man. I, I really don't. I really don't get that at all. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, Kyrie, where he ends up is going to be a very interesting story as well. Uh, it's very possible he does not end up coming back to the Mavericks, but we'll see how it goes. A lot of coaching changes going on in the NBA, and uh, first and foremost, I'm, I'm definitely happy with the hire with my Houston Rockets, uh, Ime Udoka. Obviously, there's a lot of backlash to go along with that, unfortunately, but from a basketball standpoint, I am happy with the hire. Now it's time to get that roster straight. Unfortunately, these ping pong balls just want to act a fool, and and <laughs> I was hoping at least I wasn't. You know, I didn't necessarily, you know, uh, have to have the top pick. I mean, everybody knows Victor Wembanyama is going to be a spur and all of that. I, you know, look, I'm Victor. Obviously, would have been great. Don't get me wrong, but uh, of course, now I will say this: that body kind of scares me, man. That you know, being that frail. At that height, having to play 81 games, 82 games a season, man, I just, uh, I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not hope, I'm not wishing anything bad to happen to him. I'm wishing nothing but the best. Don't get me wrong, but uh, that kind of scares me just a little bit. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, the Spurs, I think, are gonna definitely pick him. So after that, man, I was I just want to look, man, that ping pong ball just fall in the number two or the number three spot for the Rockets, and I'm good. Because for me, I think if you fall in the two or three spot, the next two best players in this draft 
are Brandon Miller of the University of Alabama and Scoot Henderson. I don't think there's any question about that. Ping pong ball puts us in fourth. <laughs> so, uh, now we've got, you know, we're not going to get one of the top three players in this draft, unfortunately. Um, and because I think once you get past three, there's a pretty significant drop. Although I think this is a pretty deep draft, it, it, there's a drop off after that third spot, in my opinion. So, I, I, obviously, me being a Bama fan, I love, would love to have had Brandon Miller there. I don't know. Anyway, maybe things will work out. We'll see how it goes. But I'm happy with the hire. Uh, you look at, you go a little bit further west, uh, Frank Vogel is the new head coach of the Phoenix Suns. We just talked about the Suns really briefly there a couple minutes ago. Disappointing run for them in the playoffs, obviously, but not surprising. That team had not been together long enough. Um, getting Chris Paul out and bringing someone else in, I'm not sure who they're, what they're going to do to add to that team, I think is probably a good move. I don't, I don't think Chris Paul was necessarily the issue though. Again, they just hadn't been they hadn't been together long enough. So we'll see how that plays out for the Suns. You got Doc Rivers. We knew Doc Rivers was going to be fired from Philadelphia. So now he, after that went down, and of course you know he's going to be the scapegoat. And for me, I'm putting all of the blame, every single bit of the blame, on Joel Embiid and James Harden. That's just me. I just, I'm not seeing where Doc, what he was supposed to have done so wrong to get fired. But obviously, you know, the coach is going to be the scapegoat in that situation. So he's gone. Nick Nurse is in, who was fired by the Raptors. I still cannot understand why the Raptors felt like it was a good idea to fire Nick Nurse. I have no, I have no earthly idea what they were thinking about right there. Uh, the Bucks have Adrian Griffin as their new head coach, a young, uh, I was thinking maybe Nurse. Uh, would end up there, but uh, yeah, so the coaching musical chairs, and of course you have um, Monty Williams who ends up in Detroit, and I thought it was really you know, going back to Phoenix there for a second, I, what was what was it supposed, that was supposed to have been so wrong about what Monty Williams did as a head coach there? <laughs> I didn't get that one either, man, so uh, NBA musical chairs big time busy here and uh, a, lot, a lot of different looks on the NBA benches next season uh, but again I really like the hire for Houston I like the hire for the Detroit Pistons we'll see hey, how Monty Williams can bring that young team along I like the hire I want to like the hire in Philadelphia I just I, I don't know if there's anything Nick Nurse can do with that team to really get them there Joel Embiid let me say this I think there needs to be a lot of apologies for the Joker. And this is the reason I feel like the MVP and those type of awards should not be given out until after the second round of the playoffs. The Joker should be the MVP. Let's just be real about it. Okay? You know, I picked Joel Embiid before the season started. I thought he would be the MVP. Turns out he was. And I think it was well-deserved. Part of the reason I thought that was because I just could not see uh, Jokic winning a third consecutive MVP. MVP Couldn't see that happening. So, not surprised by that. But for me, I think I just think that the, you know, the sec, after the second round, that way you can weed out if, if, a, if a player wins an MVP award uh, or is really MVP worthy, but his team wasn't quite good enough or maybe was middle of the pack or something like that, which and that's rare to have a situation like that. But if the team is middle of the pack or something like that, then you can kind of weed that weed that guy out. If if he if he makes it in the playoffs, they make it to the second round, then cool. But other than that, man, to me, the playoff, at least the first round or first two rounds of the playoffs should mean something in the MVP vote. That's just my opinion. I've had that opinion for a long time. And a lot of people are down on the Joker, man. <laughs> a lot of people came down on the Joker, and um, he's setting some folks up right now. Big time. Big time. Anyway, man, that is my NBA talk for this particular episode 
when we come back, man, we're going to go into the NFL a little bit. We'll talk a bit with Will Levis and the Titans. What's going on there? Uh, hearing some rumblings, possibly, that DeAndre Hopkins could make a visit to the Tennessee Titans. That is very much... Uh, would be very exciting for the Tennessee Titans, for, especially for a guy like me, a huge fan. We'll do all that when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all, we're back in. We're going to close out the show with this last segment here of Ball About the South again. Really glad for you to come in and join me here today or tonight or whatever time you're listening to this particular episode. Um, let's get into a little bit of NFL, a little bit of football. Uh, the biggest thing that I've seen here in the last couple of weeks has been, you know, OTAs really getting started in earnest around the football, around the National Football League, and um, obviously we got some got to look at things at Nashville, Tennessee, with the Tennessee Titans, and with that, of course. Will Levis, the second-round pick for the Titans, was on display, and let's just let's just say that things apparently didn't go very well. I mean, uh, I think that would be pretty much an understatement, actually. Uh, it was a rough week or so, at least a rough couple of days, anyway, for Will Levis. Now, I, th- I think it needs to be said though that the, as far as I have been able to hear the, the media that were able to kind of get a peep of everything going on there at OCAs or the mini camp and everything. Uh, they were only able to get so much of a look. I mean, it's not like they were there the entire time necessarily. Uh, that said, I mean, there are some definitely, definite, uh, concerning things being said about his accuracy, um, uh, the snap, uh, just the overall, his overall play. To be honest with you, um, and I, you know, again, it, it just brings up a lot about what people thought about the Titans drafting him in the first place, and then of course, really to talk about the Titans drafting him maybe as high as the um, the eleventh pick that they had, or trading up from that eleventh pick and trading him. Uh, or picking him like with the third or fourth pick or something like that. So again, look, man. <laughs> uh, I just think it's too early to sit here and start, you know, trying to pick this guy apart or, or any or any player. Of course, on the flip side of this thing, on the other side of the spectrum, we've been hearing how great C.J. Stroud looks with the Houston Texans and, and that's great I mean they're, they're talking about his command and the huddle and uh, uh, his accuracy night and day from what we're hearing from Will Levis uh, look man here's my thing about Will Levis uh, I, I I did not want him uh, and me being a Tennessee Titans fan I did not want the Titans to draft Will Levis I def- or at least I didn't want them to try to draft him in the first round. Now, that was my biggest fear that that was what they were going to do. They did not do that night one, and they actually got the player that I really wanted in Peter Skaronski with the 11th pick, which I thought was a really solid pick. I think Skaronski has a really good chance to play early. I think to contribute early to a to an offensive line that. I think obviously needs his, you know needs his assistance. Uh, he's a guy I think that can uh, be versatile. From what I'm hearing, um, he's out of Iowa. He played a lot of guard, but I'm hearing he has a lot of uh, versatility where he could be a left tackle as well. So I think you have a guy where you're going to help yourself with you know uh, one of the main needs on the, on the football team. There's no question about that. And then I think this guy can be a guy that will be around for maybe 10 years or more. Who knows? So, I, you know, I'm happy with Skoransky. So, you, you sit there and you see Will Levis not get picked the first night. You know, the entire first round goes by and he doesn't get picked. My other main concern about this whole thing, or really, this, really I just did not understand from a Titans standpoint. With a team, with a team that has, you know, several needs 
both sides of the ball let's be real about it why would you sit there and I think they had they would have had like the ninth or the tenth pick in the second round on on night two why would you trade up <laughs> eight spots I think it was to go ahead and get Will Levis anyway at that point and so by doing that you give up some you know some of your uh, draft picks that you had later on in the draft in this draft this past draft now and then of course and then a couple picks that you have coming up in next season's draft it just made no sense to me I'm just like man <laughs> for me I think the way I would have played it if you felt like that about Will Levis just go ahead and do it go ahead and draft this dude I you know, I didn't want them to draft him in the first round but after a point, I was like, well, damn. I mean, if you're going to sit there and, and do that, where you, you sit there and you waste a couple draft picks, then you might as well just went on the guy in the first round. Or if you didn't feel right picking him at 11, trade down. Something. something. I, I, just, I, I didn't get it. I really didn't. But like I said on the flip side I, I like getting Skaronski in the first round I thought that was a huge need for the Titans so I didn't feel totally bad about it um, if you look at the rest of the Titans draft the biggest issue that I had is they did not go out and get a wide receiver I did not understand that there were plenty of wide receivers solid I'm not going to say there are any great surefire Hall of Famers out there or anything like that but there were solid wide receivers throughout their draft, and the Titans just continued to not get one. So that was a huge deal for me. But then again, when I sit there and, and go back, when I go back and look at it, I would say the Titans draft was not that bad. I would say it was actually pretty decent. I would give the Titans draft a C plus, possibly possibly almost a B minus but I probably just say keep it at a C plus because I like the Skaronski pick I lied they 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 brought in a running back I got kid out the kid out of Tulane uh, who has you know looks to be very shifty he has some uh, injury issues though that is of a concern but they got him in the third round so we'll see how that rolls obviously it's going to be imperative that you team him up with Derrick Henry. You have to have someone uh, it's really good for it, be a, for it to be a change of pace type guy to go with Derrick Henry. So, I didn't mind that pick. I did not mind at all the pick uh, the tight end from Louisville. I thought that was actually a solid pick to go uh, have, have another tight end to go with um, uh, Chig Conquo, who we picked up last season and who I thought I think has a promising career ahead of him as well. And you were able to add a couple of other really nice picks there. You just did not get a receiver. Which, again, I, I did not understand because it is obviously a glaring need. It may be the most glaring need on the entire football team. So, again, I, again, I, I'm fine with all of that. I'm just, the Will Levis thing, though, <laughs> I, I, just, I just didn't understand why that was such a big news story. This past week, that oh well, he looked terrible in OTAs and all of that. I'm just I, I, I didn't get it. No, but look, okay, let me rephrase that. I get why because obviously everyone thought he was going to be a first round pick, and of course he sat there with his girlfriend or whatever all <laughs> Thursday night of the draft and and you know and all of that. And of course a lot most people think he's going to fail. Again, I I think that. Will Levis is a little bit better than most people are putting on. I'm not trying to just say that because I'm a Titans fan. Because, again, I did not really want him to be drafted by the Titans. I really didn't. Uh, I would rather have seen the Titans really focusing on Malik Willis. If you were just going to, you know, if you weren't going to be able to get C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or somebody like that, I would rather have seen the Titans just focusing on Malik Willis. And we'll see how that situation goes and then that you know that's a cloudy situation as well because well will levis gets gets picked but we're told that malik willis is probably going to be the, the backup quarterback i don't know 
<laughs> really a crazy, really a strange situation when you kind of look at it from that standpoint, in my opinion. Like I say again, uh, C.J. Stroud is showing a lot of promise there with the Houston Texans. No surprise there. Um, I don't think there's any question this dude is going to be a really good quarterback. We'll just see what the Texans are able to put around him as they go forward uh, and see what type of team that D'Amico Ryans is going to have in this first season. That's going to be the interesting part. But I'm not, if I'm a Texans fan, I'm not worried about C.J. Stroud and then the <laughs> For them to double up and to be able to get Will Anderson back to back, a lot of people had an issue with that. I I didn't have a problem with it at all. I think you killed two birds. You know, well, not really one stone because obviously they had to trade up to get in that fourth pick to be able to pull that off. But um, I'm sorry, to the third pick to be able to pull that off. But still, uh, I, I think if you can do something like that, if you can sit there and get your quarterback really on, I guess. You, know, you can get your quarterback there, and then you can get your um, your pass rusher, your edge rusher, man, and the, who could be that for the next 10, 12, how many ever years. I think you go ahead and do it. That's just me. So we'll see how that rolls. And Indianapolis, they're settling in with their new quarterback, Anthony Richardson. That should be interesting. Hearing a lot of good things about him. I liked him. I would have definitely like to have picked him if I was the Titans but obviously he wasn't going to be available so uh, it's just one of those things on that but with all of that said I think coming out of the draft and going into OTAs going into the mini camps and getting ready to go into here in the next month and a half or so fall camp I definitely think the Jacksonville Jaguars are still the team to beat right now in the AFC South so we'll see how all that Take, you know what takes place from there should be very interesting one uh, interesting note is the Arizona Cardinals have released uh, DeAndre Hopkins man I, you know I don't think the Titans have enough money to really go out and try to get him but man that would be a good little pickup since the Titans didn't pick up a wide receiver right <laughs> but there are going to be a lot of teams I think including the Colts that could be in line for his services. Uh, several teams, I think the Ravens, could be in line for his services. So it's going to be interesting to see where he falls. The Jets are another team. Of course, that's another huge story right there with Aaron Rodgers taking over the helm there. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Seeing that Quentin Williams has not signed his contract extension, though, there with the Jets, um, that's not going to affect him this season, but look out for that next year, man. Uh, we'll see how. Surely Quinn Williams will, will sign on the dotted line at some point, though. We'll see. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> crazy, crazy times going on here. Uh, again, this crazy NBA Finals is. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very entertaining. Make sure that uh, you're checking that out. Uh, we have. Again, the draft is coming up. We're going to be getting into that. Probably good, maybe do a little bit of a mock draft or something like that uh, to get you ready as we get closer to that. Uh, this is, I'm just really looking forward to everything. And I definitely, again, appreciate you coming in to join me here on Ball About the South. Uh, we'll be back right back here next week. We'll get into a lot more of SEC, kind of breaking things down looking at various teams, looking at uh, you know, maybe do some top tens, top five, you know, at each position, things of that nature to get you ready for the SEC. And we were talking about media days in here just a little bit over a month. It's absolutely crazy how fast time is flying here in 2023. Anyway, man, we're going to close this thing out. Again, my name is Kerry Wood. Follow me on Twitter and IG at Wood on sports on Twitter, you know, on there uh, pretty much all social media that's pretty much all you have to type in and i definitely would love the conversation and uh the feedback anyway man until next week man y'all keep it light we'll be right back here this time next week peace